Welcome to Let's Unpack That. I'm Liana. I'm Brianna. I'm Chuck. And we're your friends navigating this complicated, messy, painful, and beautiful experience of life with you through human story and connection, starting with our own. You're safe here and we see you. So, let's unpack that. Here's another episode of Let's Unpack That. Um, today we're going to be going into my story. So, um, how about I introduce um, our host, Liana? Kind of makes sense, aka the professor. Um, I met Liana. This is Brianna, by the way. I met Liana through my wife, Charlesy. Uh, they were uh, past love interests, if you will. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and I say that loosely. Okay. <laughs> That's what she's trying so to say. So they met on a dating website. Um, went on a couple like friendship dates. <laughs> uh, nothing really progressed from there. But I remember when I uh, first met a friendship progressed. Yeah, it totally did. Yeah, but nothing. A really deep, meaningful yes, friendship exactly. that then flourished into two really yes. deep, meaningful right? friendships. Now it's a throuple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when I originally met Charles C, her and I were just friends, strictly friends. And I remember her talking about Liana. And they had a friendship, but they went on a couple dates, and I very snarkily referred to her as the professor. <laughs> because Liana taught at Utah State University. Which she funny, literally was a professor. Which, funny enough, that's like a name, nickname, that multiple friends groups have like organically come up with for me. So. <laughs> and she's not a professor anymore. <laughs> at heart, always. At heart, she is. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, love Liana love whatever it was that they had because it brought us to this yeah and now we're doing the let's unpack that podcast Mm -hmm. so um i guess i'm just gonna start at the beginning yeah just and then let you guys jump in if there are any clarifying points or questions you have i don't Um, think i've heard your story not fully i've heard like little bits and pieces but not fair not yeah. in its entirety. And I I know I've heard a little bit, but mm-hmm. probably not a lot, so I'm excited. Yeah, it'll be fun. And I guess side note, each of our like story episodes, we're going to go through and kind of give like the high level, but as anybody who lives their own life knows, there are so many nuances to like your personal story that you could circle back around and like tell other aspects of it and have that go on for a long time. So I'll do my best to tell the story but, like, as the season progresses, I'm sure we'll return back to different aspects of how we've come to where we're sitting right now, you know? I love it. It's good. Um, okay, so my, like, background. I grew up um, the oldest of six kids, super, super religious family. Think, like, Catholic roots, Asian, Hispanic, you know, background. And then my parents kind of shifted from Catholicism into more of an evangelical space. So, like, it was pretty intense. (laughs) Um, And the environment was such that being the oldest of six and growing up in such a 
religious household, there's a lot of pressure to be a good example. And like, I felt personally a lot of responsibility on my shoulders for not just my behavior, but like it was not just implied, but kind of stated that anything that my younger siblings did, like I would have impacted in some way because they were watching me. Do you feel like you were like a perfectionist then? Oh, for sure. I can relate yeah. to that being the oldest. Too. For sure. Everyone made me feel that way too. Mm-hmm. And that's like a really heavy burden. Yeah, try being the middle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no one expects anything yeah. from me there. Does anyone even know I'm here? <laughs> Who, who's talking? What was that? Was that you, Chuck? <laughs> I'm an oldest. I, everyone can hear me. Everyone's looking at me yeah. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you and my sister would have great conversations, I'm sure. In the middle? <laughs> yeah. yeah sure. Smack in the middle. Um, and, like, here's the thing. I say all of this, and this is the really tricky part about stories, because, like, there were hard parts about my childhood, and there were also really great parts, and I have really tender memories and things that I'm grateful for. And so, you know, I think, again, going back to like the purpose of this podcast, we're looking to explore stories with compassion and tell all sides of it. And at this point for this particular telling of my story, these are really relevant pieces of information, right? So not trying to cast anybody in the light of like the bad guy or. I think that's been hard for all of us is we're worried about portraying people a certain way and having them be offended by it. And that's not our intent. Right. It's just to tell the experiences that we've experienced. Right. And And from that time and place, because that person may not even be the villain, you know, currently. Well, they may have grown and, or they may grow in the future and we can recognize that and we want to save space for that. Right. Yeah. So with that caveat, growing up in such like a religious home and moving around so often, we ended up in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is like, think deep Bible belt kind of thing. So if you've grown up anywhere in the South, you will understand that it is a very unique flavor of um, just religious staunchness, I guess. So um, that was the ages like 10 to almost 16, where you really start to even like have crushes or, you know, be interested or notice. And that's It's interesting to think back now that I know what I know about myself because, like, when you're young, there is some exploration with, like, who you're intrigued by. And, like, you don't know necessarily, at least from my experience, it's not like I knew super clearly right out the gates, right? Um, Because you find people interesting and then you're like, oh, but I like them this way, but I don't know what that means. Um, And I feel like one of the things that I recognize is there was never any permission for me to think anything other than one day I'm going to get married to a man and have a family. Like we've talked about this before, but a very clear path. Yeah. You and I can relate on that a lot where our path was getting married to a man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there was no room for even asking any other, there were no other options. And when you're young, you don't know that there are other options, Mm -hmm. right? So you kind of just start in that realm. And like a lot of friends that I have are men. And I think you can be a, quote unquote, attracted to people as friends or find them compelling as a human, but not be attracted to them sexually or physically. And obviously when you're young, you can't, you don't know how to parse that. So, um, 
throughout this time, though, <laughs> I would have really intense female friendships where you're like, oh, I think you talked about this in yours, right? Where, like, you have, like, a lot of close friends, but then you have, like, your best, best, best friend. The ones you yeah. want to sit on their laps. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I, I was in love with my best friend's sister. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not in love. I don't know. But I, I definitely... If you're listening, I it wasn't love. fancied her. <laughs> yeah. Quote, unquote. Yeah, I feel you. But, um, so, yeah, growing up, having a lot of, like, really intense female friendships, I always towed the line really carefully because combined perfectionism with, like, not knowing that you have other options... Like, whereas my sisters would have, like, different crushes that would rotate through, I'd have different, like, best friends that would be coming through often. Um, And then, even though I was never LDS like you were, I ended up randomly going to BYU for both undergrad and grad school, which was more really staunch hardlining on the way you're supposed to live and date and, like, lay out your life plan, right? I had no idea you went to BYU. Really? No, no idea. Oh. Really? No, you huh. never told me that. Oh. Fair. Um, yeah. Do well, you feel yeah. like... Interesting. So you had the Southern perspective of, you know, that Bible Belt Phil. Then you had the extreme Mormon Phil at BYU. Which one do you feel like... Uh, I don't even know how to word it. Felt more intense was it maybe you know the southern because your your family and everyone were kind of tied to that a little bit more so um, I guess I would just say that there are different flavors of like kind of the same dish if that makes sense so with the staunch like southern side of things it was a lot more fire and brimstone so like really really caustic messaging around it right like you're you're going to hell, you're gonna burn, kind of a thing. More shaming. A lot of shaming, yeah, but like very overt. Like threatening, yeah. Very overt yeah. shaming. Okay. Whereas, I felt like in like BYU with LDS culture, it wasn't such overt shaming, but it was more of like that passive aggressive, subtle. The toxic approach. niceness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That yeah, that like you think you're happy, but you don't really know true happiness yet. <laughs> like I heard that line so many times, you yeah. know. But, like, being at BYU then, that meant it was just perpetuating this, like, you don't have other options. So, never looked, right? And so I got to got to BYU, started dating a guy there, um, and we dated for four and a half years, and it was something that was, like, really confusing for me because I was always the perfectionist, and I knew, like, I'd done everything as I was supposed to up to that point. I went to college, like was getting my degree and I knew the next step was like get married and have a family kind of a thing but like as much of a perfectionist as I was I just could not force myself to take that step like internally everything in my body was screaming like no I couldn't but you felt like something was missing did you know that you were like attracted to women at that point or no I still didn't know that because I still didn't even think it was an option to consider you know so what did I mean? you think did, it was a him issue yeah did you I totally like it thought it was a him issue person, not him yeah. yeah well and like it was one of the most confusing things to me because I was like well like we're best friends he's really cool and there were moments where I'm like this is fun this could be good and then you at least for me I would file through all the possibilities I was like well, maybe it's because we're different religions and I have a mental block against that. And if that was gone, then I would be fine, right? Um, and, like, ultimately, I just recognized 
I wasn't attracted to him. I didn't want to like snuggle with him. I didn't like kissing him. So you actually did recognize that side of it. I did recognize and that. And acknowledged it. I did acknowledge but that. Did you still like kind of force yourself in a way to For sure. still be physical with him? Uh-huh. And there was some trauma points around that because there was a lot of like um, pressure to join the church. Uh, and So was he LDS? He was LDS, yeah. Okay. So... Yeah, important information point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was LDS. There was a lot of pr- he was a return missionary. There was a lot of pressure to join the church, um, and so a lot of pressure around like make sure you're reading the Book of Mormon. Don't drink coffee. Don't drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. But as is pretty common, there was a ton of pressure on like sexual front, and so that was just not awesome. <laughs> ton of pressure. He like you felt like pressured to be sexual. Totally oh, you did. coerced. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you feel like he actually pressured you to be more sexual? Uh-huh. Interesting. But he wanted you yeah. to be in the that, church. Because for the LDS church, that it's goes against upon. it. Yeah. Right. But the thing that's in this, from my outside perspective, having lived it, that is the one thing that it's okay to pressure because once you get married, it's not a problem anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas coffee, alcohol, there's nothing that's going to make that okay. Right. So I've seen this plenty being a non-member in a member space where it's just like considered like a lesser shortcoming because like the imperative is to get married and to have kids. And so, but did he talk to you about that? Like, did he say like, I want to marry you? Oh yeah, he he totally did. did. He said that six months in. Okay. So it was, I remember actually even having direct conversations with him about it being like, I told you I didn't want to do this. And it was, so that was a trauma point I had to work through because I recognized that lack of physical attraction and then felt a ton of guilt around it because I'm like, but I should want that, which is a really common theme too. Um, I can relate to that. I yeah. also yeah. can relate to that. And it gets confusing, which I'm sure you probably can also relate with because you're like such close friends and they're so good in other ways see you know? for me too like not to interrupt but I felt like you know with my um previous marriage with a man I loved our friendship yeah and I felt like you know we would have like the best time together and you know it'd be so fun and you know laughing and we had a great platonic relationship mm-hmm. and then when I felt like things got intimate or turned sexual I almost felt betrayed which is insane because that was my husband I shouldn't feel that way but I was like we had such a good day and now you do this yeah no I get it so wild to think that way interesting yeah I feel like for me I pressured myself to like go through all those motions like this is what I'm supposed to be doing this is what all my friends are doing I'm gonna do it and I'm like this little robot but why doesn't it feel like natural? Why is it easy for me to stop where yeah. all my friends are like, I'm having trouble living the law of chastity. Yeah. You know, I for, you know, was on the other end, like, that's easy. Just stop. Yeah. No, I get it. I same. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we finally broke up. Um, and early twenties at that point, still in Utah, um, still didn't feel like it was even even an option to consider because at that point I was still thinking it was just like the wrong guy. I was like, well, once I find the right guy, I'll be I'll be in it. You know, it'll be exciting. Yeah. 
So like dated around, um, went moved back to uh, to LA after grad school, and throughout this time I'm dating all men, and like the common theme was just like yeah they're fun, and some of them like I really enjoyed as friends, but there was still no spark, kind of a thing. So I was like, well, I guess still not here. <laughs> picky picky. Yeah, seriously, that was like the label I was given by everybody who knew me. Like, jeez. You're like the pickiest Chuck, you dater. had the label too. Oh, for sure. Everyone said that to me. Mm-hmm. I, my, yeah, that was a key from everyone. Like, you're just, you're just too picky. You just have to, like, realize that they're not going to be perfect. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, maybe that is what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't until I moved to Los Angeles, and at this point, I'm like late twenties, that I start thinking, like, what's going on? Because I've always kind of been a bleeding heart romantic. Like, I, I love the idea of love. I study literature. I write poetry and music. And, like, I consume a lot of that. And so that was always kind of what I was, like, looking for. I was like, they talk about love in a very specific way in songs and poetry, in stories. I'm like, does it just not exist? Um and then I'd come back around and be like, there's no way it doesn't exist because there's enough different sources saying the same thing like that it has to. And so then started wondering, well, like, is something wrong with me? Like, am I too frigid? So like I went through a period where I was like, maybe I just need to be a little less like tightly wound around sex and connecting because maybe that's a mental block that I have from being raised so conservative. Long story short, that was not the case because <laughs> it was not enjoyable to like be connecting physically and like I'm not a personally for me no judgment to anybody else does anything I'm not casual with my physical exchanges it's just like I need more connection and depth and it has a different kind of a meaning for me and I'm not taking like the hardline conservative approach of I'm waiting till I'm married right but like it's just there has to be more to it more connection emotionally and Mm -hmm. spiritually Um, and I guess since we're going to just be super frank, one of the things that was like interesting, but confusing for me was that like, I'd be having these sexual exchanges and I'd be like, okay, respond kind of like my body, it feels good kind of, you know, but like, I think naturally people like crave that and you have to like, I mean, I feel like attention does feel good, you know, in a way, and you want to connect with people. So it's weird that your body can kind of trick itself. Well, and yeah, but naturally that stuff happens. Yeah, like if it's getting attention or touched or whatever. It's like nerves are nerves nerves. to an extent. Mentally, you can still have a block up and say, like, I still feel disconnected mentally from my body. A million percent. Yeah, Yeah, there's like a, this feels good, but why doesn't it feel better? Yeah, well, it's like you feel sensation and like I guess the the way that I've described being with women since being with men is like it's going from 2D to like 3D, you know? So it's like, yeah, it was whatever. Like it felt fine, but there was never... For me, it was like the aftermath of it is where like it really hit me hard. Mm -hmm. Like I had almost like a sinking, like very lonely feeling and that was always the hardest part for me to cope with. Yeah, and, like, a ton of anxiety, and I couldn't figure out why, and it took me time to, like, parse through because coming from a really religious background, like, you're told that that's because, you know, you're acting outside of God's commands and, like, you're Mm -hmm. lacking the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, oh, 
That's Damn, what that is. Maybe. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so LA was the first time I started like questioning because like logically I'm like, okay, what is it? You know? But I was still way too afraid to even like consider that option, but it was becoming something that was becoming a little bit more conscious. And I remember having dating apps up and a couple of times like flipping to women and then freaking out and going back and being like, no way, wait, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, Even though no one saw that but you. I know. <laughs> it's true. We no one would have, have ever known. Like uh, mine yeah. was TV shows that I'd watched that Like in, in Secret. Those. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. L word and orange is the new black. Like I, I literally would erase them from my like Netflix, like like history Mm -hmm. so that no one would see that I had. Yeah. Not me. Looked at that. It's all about the plot line. (laughs) You see these shows? But, but it's the same idea. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like a lot, a lot of times we hide from ourselves first and foremost, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I flipped back and forth a couple times and I would freak out um, and kept shoving it away. Um, I wound up dating a guy for a summer when I was back home in Fresno and that imploded very quickly, but, like, he was super physically attractive <clears throat> and, like, it, I was like, okay, cool, this could work, yeah. But... Again, still had that block against wanting to be with him intimately. And it just unraveled really quickly for other reasons because he was really fucking immature. (laughs) But I remember that one just like hitting a little bit harder, even though there was an emotional investment because I was like just deflated. I was like, okay, he was really cute. And like there were all these other things that seemed good. And for whatever reason, that one just hit a little well, bit harder. Well, like, if it was going to be anyone, it was going to be him, and even that didn't work. It's like, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's, he's yeah. this attractive yeah. enough that like I'm attracted I should, to him. Yeah, like, yeah. I can recognize this An person, person is very attractive. Uh-huh. Why am I still not having the feelings? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I remember for the first time, because at that point, I was still in a fairly Christian space, personally, I remember just kind of like trying to work through my feelings and that first time like acknowledging to myself, just kind of like saying my prayers and being like, you know, I just would really like to find my person, whether it's like a man or a woman, I would just like to find them. And I was like, cool. Like, you know what? If they come into my life, God brought them into my life and um, I'm just going to kind of like let it go, which helped me feel like a little less stressed because I was like, well, fatal, fatal work it out for me. So I wound up coming out here to teach at a, at a college out to Utah. Um, wasn't looking to date anybody and ended up um, just kind of like building out my network where I had started teaching and met another coworker who became a really good friend. And this is probably one of those stories I'll div- delve into in more detail in another episode, but long story short, that progressed from friendship into like feelings that were way more intense than a friendship for the first time in a way that was like reciprocated, which freaked me out hard because I was like, what's going on? And like, I remember just clinging on to my like lines about, but friendship's super important and platonic intimacy matters. And like, I still believe that a million percent. Friendship matters just as much as like a romantic relationship. They just, I think, function in different spheres 
but I now understand that I was also using that as like a, a cover for the way I was actually feeling and like that intensity. Well, the first time you feel feelings like that towards someone else, you know, and it is reciprocated, it turns your entire world upside down. Oh, for sure. I remember going on a trip with her and like her family and like having to, for the first time, start to consciously recognize what those feelings actually meant and like crying the whole way that I drove home for like hours because I was like freaking out, <laughs> you know? Really? Yeah. Isn't um, that sad though? Mm-hmm. Like so that's, sad. I mean, that was your initial response is to cry. Yeah, to cry. Like, what does that mean? You know, what is, I don't know, just the the way that we grow up, especially in religion mm-hmm. and the way that we're taught when we think that we're different from the norm or what is supposed to be. I, and it, it's probably outside of religion too, not just in religion, but especially in religion. It's devastating. Like, it is. You have a um, huge... Identity crisis almost. Totally do. Well, I mean, it's like the weight is... When I wasn't finding men attractive, I was like, maybe there's something wrong with me. And then it was like when I realized I found women attractive, it was like, oh my God, something is wrong with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was like maybe something's wrong. Now it's like... There's there definitely is something a problem. Wrong. There, yeah, there is uh-huh. something wrong. Because that's the messaging you get like your whole life, right? So... It brings up like all those fears of like something's wrong with you, there's shame, there's guilt, there's like abandonment fears because like, I mean, when you play out your worst fears, you're like, everyone's going to leave me and no one's going to like me. Mm-hmm. But like, unfortunately, reality is that like some people do leave you and that some people happen. don't like you, mm-hmm. you know? And Which so it's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's like really tender when you're like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. So kind of had to navigate through some of that. Um, and finally hit a point where I acknowledged it. And for me, that resulted in considering all kinds of different, it made me deconstruct literally everything else in my world. Like the way that I believed spiritually and religiously, even like my ideas around what like relationships and commitment will look like. I was like, what do I believe? Cause I thought I had to believe it. And like, what do I actually personally think? So felt like I was stripped down to like my smallest pieces. So you feel like that triggered kind of your faith crisis? I mean, in Mormonism, we call it our faith faith crisis. Yeah. Do you feel like that is what triggered yours? A million percent. I think it dovetailed with a couple other things like going to BYU um, and being kind of like the outsider. And for the first time, seeing people interpret like the Bible different ways and having both sides say like, but this is what the Bible says. Right. And being like, well, okay. We're both saying that though. Like, so how does this work to be at least wrong or maybe not completely right. Right. And then another big piece to that was I taught at a Jewish school for a year and I saw like, I learned a lot about Jewish culture and religion and I saw how different that is from like modern day Christianity, which for me, logically, we're taught that Christianity comes from Judaism. So for them to look so different, I mean, like, really different, it begged the question, like, how did we just pick and choose the pieces that we kept? Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense to me. So when I came back to Utah to teach, it was off of the heels of teaching at the Jewish school. And that, I felt like, all primed me for being in this position to, like, 
take everything apart. Like reconstruct yourself? Mm-hmm. Did you feel, yeah? When you were doing that, how were you doing like emotionally? Uh, really not good. <laughs> it was brutal. And like that was one of the hardest things with it all is being in a situation for the first time with a woman and like the circumstances around that were really complex because she had grown up super religious as well. She had been married to a man and had kids. And so like there was a lot of like, well, we we can't tell anybody about this, even though, again, this is a, another episode probably, but like it was this space where it was like an open relationship was okay because she'd recognized she was gay pretty early on. Um, and that was one of the pieces where I was like, well, maybe, maybe this is more what I'm wired for than anything else. And no judgment to anyone lives their life, but that's a million percent not me now that I've done, like walked that road. But, um, you mean the open relationship? Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, the open relationship piece. Thanks for clarifying. Um, but so there was this stress of we can't tell anybody because we have to protect all these other the kids and not let them get blowback in the community. And honestly, for a minute, I can recognize now that like that idea of having like a special friend on the side was offering me a way to like be myself without having to tell anybody. Right. Did part of you feel relieved though that like you weren't broken because you were like not attracted to any of these guys and you hadn't really even, you know, came to the conclusion that maybe it was a woman? Did part of you feel like, oh, like light bulb, that's it. Like I'm glad yeah. I can have these feelings. It did, but it I wouldn't call it a light bulb mo- moment. It was more so like a sunrise moment because it took a minute for that like realization to set right. in. It wasn't... Did you feel on the opposite end? Did you feel broken at first? Yeah. So both are true. It was like, oh my God, I can feel all these things. And then it was like, oh my God, I feel all these things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I feel this. Oh wait, I feel this. And I shouldn't feel this. Mm -hmm. So it's like an unbroken, broken feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's just like your brain is short circuiting for a minute. Mm -hmm. And I remember that also being a really big moment for me too, because I was like in relationships with men for my whole life prior to that and like when I'd be intimate like it just felt wrong and then when I was intimate with a woman for the first time I remember intellectually thinking through this should feel wrong like Mm -hmm. it's a woman and she's married and this is an open relationship set up and like every context of that based on like how it was raised I should feel like awful about this but it didn't, like, at all. So I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. What do I do with that? You but know, even I have just to like, unpack this. Even uh-huh. just, like, naturally, no, though, happening. like, with, a, like, a man, like, a lot of straight women just, like, even if they're unexperienced or inexperienced, they know step by step, like, oh, you just do this, you do this. And for me, I had to, like, physically talk myself through it. Like, I was always a step ahead. Like, okay, after that, I'm supposed to do this. Like, it never just felt, like, natural. Like, this Mm -hmm. is just evolving the way it's supposed to. Yeah, you didn't go with feelings. You went with, oh, I've seen this on TV. Or or I've I've heard that they like this. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so... That whole, like, crisis around right versus wrong and, like, feeling like it was just the absence of the Holy Spirit when I was, like, sexually active with men prior to, like, 
deconstructing the way that I saw my faith and like spirituality space just imploded everything and then yeah mental health wise there was a ton of anxiety and a ton of honestly like depression that kind of came up because I was like who do I talk about this I can't talk to anybody um and like how do I navigate this because I realized pretty quickly I didn't want to be in an open relationship space but I didn't know how to navigate that being so in love with the person that I was with so it was pretty heavy <laughs> um and long story short that that ended and I went through the crisis moment of like but what if I can never feel like this about somebody ever again because like that's a natural way to feel when you've never felt that way especially if I mean I feel like that's a common thing it's just that usually happens younger mm-hmm. as opposed to like you know if you haven't explored your sexuality until later in life Isn't so then that interesting your your first relationship even older almost acts as if you were you yeah, know almost like childish. a teenager totally. like I can't let this person go and realistically you know there's probably other people that are better suited suited for me than this person but, is but you hold on to this person because you've never felt it before. Mm-hmm. And because you're so much older when you feel it, since I wasn't, it wasn't until my 30s, like it hit that point of like, oh my God, it took me this long to find it. I'm like I'm never going to find it yeah. again. What if I have to wait another 30 years to find that? Mm-hmm. You know? I, I can relate because I feel like my first, I kind of felt that way too. Hey. Or, Hey, pipe down. (laughs) I'm her second, just to clarify. (laughs) But it's true. Like, she, I know, you know, kind of a similar thing where it wasn't exactly right for me. I know, looking back, but letting that go was one of the hardest things for me because it was the first time I'd ever felt that way. Mm -hmm. And so I can relate to you on that aspect. And you and I did talk that's when we were talking (laughs) it's true like during that time where we both were unpacking those feelings they're like damn it see i'm never gonna find that again (laughs) yeah and we're both both talking to each other about it and and relating on some of the toxic behaviors we experienced but still feeling drawn to that person yeah regardless of that because of Never feeling that way. A million See, percent. and I was on the flip side because I came out in high school. So my first girlfriend, I was like 16 years old, but I had those exact same feelings when our relationship started to unravel. I was like, no, like this is my person. I can't let that person go. And I was distraught for weeks and weeks. Yeah, which is a normal high school relationship. But to happen in your 30s, it's... Like, come on, that's embarrassing. Get it together. (laughs) But it's all we knew. It was, yeah. It was all we knew. For sure. all we'd experienced and all we'd allowed ourselves Mm -hmm. to experience up until that point. That is super interesting, though. Totally. So, I remember we were at dinner and... (laughs) <laughs> you guys we were talking uh uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Okay. sorry we did you did you know like we met on hinge yes, <laughs> i know okay. i probably i actually i think i told her like before we were going to this dinner like i'm going with liana she's like oh the professor mm-hmm. okay. so you guys were sharing spaghetti at dinner go on yeah. what else <laughs> well, like, we were at dinner and we were talking about like yeah our exes at that point and 
you had asked me a question about her and I was sitting there and I had hit this point where I had started telling some people my story about it because I was like tired of not telling anybody. Mm-hmm. And I paused for a second. So I was like, do I give her just like the really basic, no information pitch of it? And then I was like, fuck it. And I was like, well, the first woman I dated was blah, 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 with all the complexities. And I just remember you sitting there being like, I did not see that coming. I was shocked, <laughs> to say the least. I'm like... Check, please. Everything, no, everything that I had known of Liana, like, just, like, down the... Like, professor. Mm-hmm. Like, what you imagine, like, like just... I mean, really cool, but, like... Kind of, like, cookie cutter, though. Yeah, like, just yeah. kind of, like, perfect. Uh-huh. Like, they're perfect. And then when she told me kind of the situation and that there's, like, an open relationship... So you're like, am I being punked? And all that, I'm like, wow. <laughs> you started <laughs> laughing. Good I was one. like, okay, no, she, I, is, I, uh, she is a lot more complex than I realized. <laughs> well, it was interesting. It's actually been really interesting to notice how all of my friendships and relationships, like, have shifted since going through that process because I don't feel like I started to unpack my perfectionism until I was taken to like that rock bottom point where I was like I have to talk to someone somewhere or I'm like I'm not gonna survive this you know but did it almost kind of feel good to like not follow the rules for a minute like in the beginning the very beginning like yeah like this is like I feel things for this person and you know maybe I'm not supposed to live by the book Um, I came kind of just with like all the deconstruction altogether. I don't, I've never felt like somebody who wants to like flout the rules just for the sake of flouting the rules. It was more so like it felt good to finally feel what I felt like I was supposed to feel. That was me too. Like I never wanted to break rules. Like that was never a desire for me. Like I wasn't rebellious in any way. Yeah. And so for me, it was the same. You yeah. still like to follow the rules. I still follow. Yeah, I still follow a lot of rules. That's my Karen over there. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I've gotten real edgy. Now sometimes I go the wrong way around a roundabout when it's Some, quicker. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> I make real. a U-turn when I'm not supposed to. <laughs> yeah, but seriously though, like she I was, was 35 and a 30. Yeah, you better watch out. Um, yeah, but like when I finally started breaking down and being like, I have to talk to somebody, I'm going to like lose my mind if I don't. It's like completely <clears throat> redefined all the friendships that I have because they say they've all said things really similar to what you just said, which is like, yeah, like you were perfect. You never had anything wrong. Everything was going great. Life was fine. But like it just it felt hollow, mm-hmm. you know, and like I'm a pretty genuine person. I know how to connect with people and listen, but like there's something to be said for like that reciprocity mm-hmm. of like not just like listening, but also sharing. And so, yeah, now, like, the people who are in my core group, I still think you should, there are intimate details of your story that not everybody needs to know, you know? So, like, I still am judicious with what I share to that end, but, like, with my close circle of people, I'm way more open, and, yeah, now they see that I'm sometimes messy and complex, and I it's made our relationships more intimate because of it. Yeah, I think it makes people more human, like, it makes people re- more relatable. I mean, on the flip side, it can cause a lot of judgment from certain people and oh, things totally. like that. You know, that do think they're in a higher moral ground or whatever they may think. But for those that of us that, like, are struggling, I know for me, knowing that other people didn't live perfectly, even though they looked like they did, was 
healing for me because I'm like, okay, that's how I've lived. Mm -hmm. And now I'm not quite living perfectly according to everyone I know. And other people are doing it too. And we're going to get through this kind of together. But it seems like it causes or could cause conflict as well because these people that you have close relationships with, like your family and your like really close friends, they know that like perfectionist version of you. And then they see you doing something that's quite the opposite. And they're like, wait, I feel like I know this person. How are they behaving that way? Yes, that for me was huge. And I know for you, Liana... Like, you and I can relate on the fact that, like, people perceived us a certain way. For sure. And we were, you know, quote-unquote perfect. I mean, hell, you and and Liana were just, like, Tinder friends, and you were completely floored. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. I thought I knew this Tinder girl, and I didn't know her at all. You get so good (laughs) at maintaining the image. Uh Uh-huh. So when you didn't maintain that image anymore, when people did start to see it, how did that affect you? Um, it was a huge identity crisis, but it also, it was um, really liberating in a lot of ways to all of a sudden take all that weight of expectation off your shoulders. Mm-hmm. But it was also a really far fall off the pedestal, if that makes sense. It was like yes. both things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like glad to be off the pedestal now. <laughs> But, like, you get bruised on the way down. Well, you feel safe up there almost, like, you know. And isn't it, it really is a weird dynamic to feel because I felt the same way. Like, people looked at me and and thought I did everything right. Mm -hmm. I had this image and I was, to an extent, on a pedestal in some people's eyes. And then when I fell off of it, it it hurt. There was a lot of hurt and pain. But to be free of that secret and all of everyone's expectations of me Mm -hmm. and to be able to actually live the way that I thought was right Mm -hmm. was freeing and so so it's a weird like dichotomy or whatever it's a weird you know trying to figure out yeah like what okay well I'm happy (laughs) but I'm also miserable Uh uh-huh yeah (laughs) what's happening you're like I don't know what to do with all these feelings yeah (laughs) Um, oh, there was something else I was going to say. Well, with that, I'll ask you a question. Okay. Obviously your family is very religious mm-hmm. and this is a hard topic to talk, talk about because we love our families yeah. and we love, you know, the way, you, you know, like you said, you love aspects of how you grew up For and sure. there are really great memories. Yep. But unpacking that, you know, you've kind of told us a little bit, but Mm -hmm. how did that impact your relationships with your family members? Yeah. um, So basically every one of my worst fears came true Mm -hmm. (laughs) because like everything that I thought about how they would react pretty much was how they reacted. I mean, I, all my siblings responded in a variety of ways. Some of them in ways that were really healing, some of them in ways that were not so healing. Um, But, like, my biggest fear was abandonment. And that was how I felt once it came out, was that I was totally alone. Um, And it was really complicated because since I felt so responsible for, like, my siblings and, like, the emotions of my parents and making them proud, 
it was both feeling abandoned and like just the sheer panic of that, as well as feeling guilt for feeling like I abandoned them with my choices, if that makes sense. So it was like really heavy because it wasn't like I just got to feel all the hard things for me. I was also feeling guilty for the hard things they were feeling. You're feeling alone in two different ways. Yeah. And I think that comes with that whole pedestalization and like just the pressure that's put on you to be like the the manager, the caregiver, like the the golden one, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of hard though because like you're like kind of getting to know yourself and like stepping into this like almost like new person that you just found. But then your family members almost have to mourn the person that they like thought you were or the per- like the life that they thought you were going to have which is fair, but still. I think the hard part that I don't think that some of our family members realize is that we go through that too. We have to mourn the person that we used to be. You know, I don't know, you know, how you felt with everything or how you felt, but I know that I, I had to mourn who I was and give up part of who I was Mm -hmm. And I recognize that they had to too, and I have to be respectful of their journey. But I don't know if sometimes they realize that. I think that they see us making this choice. A selfish choice. That they think the is maybe yeah. selfish. Right. Yeah. But they don't realize that we have to go through a mourning process too. We mm-hmm. have to mourn who we believed that we were or who we really wanted or who we defined ourselves as or and the life we thought we were gonna have that was really surprising to me when I hit that like grief because I was like I'm so happy to know this about myself now but also like I'm sad that this thing that I thought I was gonna have my whole life is not at all what I'm gonna have it's never gonna happen yeah yeah and so my one of the moments when that was most stark for me was um at my sister's wedding so my dad did the father-daughter dance with her kind of a thing, which I mean, that's already fraught in and of itself because mm-hmm. your parents don't support you. You're like, well, they probably won't even be at my wedding, right? right? But then he also wound up pulling my other sister up and dancing with her and pulling me up and dancing with me. And I know why he did that. It was like his moment to make sure he got that father-daughter dance mm-hmm. since he wouldn't be able to do that with me, which was mm-hmm. really stingy in that moment. It's hard. You know? Ugh. But, like, to your point, I also want to extend, like, empathy to the fact, like, that they had their own ideas and, like, from from their particular paradigm, like, they genuinely think that, like, I'm making a choice that's hurting me, even but though I don't agree. making a choice <laughs> as if you right. have a choice. Right. That's... So, I don't know. Like, I don't... One of my flaws is making excuses for people pretty easily and, like, not taking up the way it impacts me so I don't want to like diminish that because that was really hard for me and also like I, I do want to allow that grace for like sure they need to be able to also grieve what they thought they were going to have I think there's a good happy medium with that like I think you know a lot of people they want us to give them 100% grace on everything mm-hmm. and if that were easy you know to do maybe we could do it but at the same time we have to we have to acknowledge the pain that we that we're dealing with and so there is there are things there are boundaries there are things that we have to set in order to kind of protect ourselves and 
although we want to give as much grace as we can mm-hmm. and recognize that people have to grow or or give them space to grow, not that they have to, mm-hmm. give them space to grow, we also have to protect ourselves and set boundaries and recognize, you know, and acknowledge our stories, acknowledge our hurt, acknowledge those things that happen. That doesn't mean that we hate them for those things that happen. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, I don't, I don't even know how to fully like verbalize what, you know, I'm saying, but we, we have to acknowledge our feelings and at the same time, give them grace to grow, which I think is what you have done. And I do think like, you know, every time I've talked to you about your family and that dynamic, you always emphasize how much you love your family and how important they are to you. And, um, you know, how amazing they are in these ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but you also seem to set boundaries and you seem like you almost like hold them accountable for their actions now, whereas before you didn't. Yeah, that's been a definite learning curve, (laughs) but it's, and I'm not perfect at it yet. I'm still trying to make sure that I do that properly, which I think also comes with that like pedestalization because you don't, you don't even know where your sovereign boundaries are because you belong to everyone else kind of. But for me, like I know that when I started, you know, after my divorce and I started dating a woman, I almost felt like kind of what you said. I went from two-dimensional to three-dimensional and I felt like my family has to pick up on that. Like they knew this like watered down version of me for years and now they can actually see that I'm happy. And that, that for me, I was, you know, super hopeful that they would see that since I was feeling it. Do you both feel like they have seen that? My mom actually said she saw that. She was really upset about my divorce initially because I, you know, I have kids and she didn't like the thought of me breaking up my family. But then when I started dating someone else and she spent more time with us, she said that she could see that I was, you know, that my my like light had come back and that part made her feel better. Yeah, we're not there yet with my family. <laughs> so not even close, but... um with some of my siblings, like I do feel like they genuinely can see that and I feel like that's been really good. And like I said, some of my siblings were super supportive. Some, like you have like a, a gradient. <laughs> you have some that weren't and some that really were and some that are somewhere in the middle. But You have um, a lot of siblings. <laughs> yep, there's six of us. <laughs> so um, with my parents though, they're not at all there yet, so... We'll which see. which I think, you know, I mean, we're raised in different religions, but I do, th- like, we've both been able to relate a lot on For sure. very conservative religious values. Yeah. And I do, I mean, I, I had that mentality. I think you had mm-hmm. that mentality. Unpacking that without something like we've dealt with, you know, un- you know, our sexuality or things like that unpacking that on your own probably would take a while Mm -hmm. and and being able to be vulnerable in order to allow someone else's story to impact you Mm -hmm. and recognize that you know open the door that maybe you might be wrong on a certain topic Mm -hmm. 
It takes a lot. Well, it takes which a lot in of your time. mom, you mean, I mean, your parents in general, you've talked to me about like how they were in your early stages of coming out. They weren't supportive. And now like your mom and I have a great relationship. We text, you know, her and I like cut up. We, I, I love your mom. And she said things to you about, you know, how she, you know, thinks I'm a good fit for you and all of that, which you probably never saw coming. Yeah. Well, and I think so there is my, hope for that. You know, yeah. on my parents' side, that's a little bit different is my, you know, my dad is a little bit more religious. My mom isn't. Um, so there wasn't that as much. I mean, my mom was actually pretty supportive of the LGBTQ community, but not of you when but, you initially well, came out. Well, but more so about my situation being married and having kids. Sure. But Liana's is completely tied to religion both her her parents are extremely religious and and you don't have the kid dynamic as well like oh you're gonna split up a family and like all of these things too like you and I had yeah but when you are an extreme you know in an extreme religion and you believe something so strongly getting out of that vitality is more almost harder than what our parents well probably impossible well I mean, I believed that for a while, right? Like we talked about just like the compulsory heterosexuality and then like the deep religious programming and it not even being an option for me. I remember this could be triggering. Sorry if it is, but now I'm here now. <laughs> but like, I mean, when, so I have a brother who is also gay, other complicated thing. But point to that is when I found out I was, uh, 20 maybe 1920 and when I found out I like even said it would have been better if he'd have gotten a girl pregnant Mm -hmm. you know like I was that bought into it which Chuck you were too you said the same thing I had it's funny when we when I hear you talk about things sometimes because the same with my brother I used to think like when he'd get off his mission he needed to date a girl right away or I knew you know, I knew there was a chance that he might end up going to the dark side. Yeah. See, and, and I didn't grow up religious at all. My little sister came up before me, though, and I remember being like, damn it, like jealous, like I'm not brave enough to do that. So I will shame her for it. <laughs> well, I have a question for you, Liana. Um, so for me, being religious, being kind of that perfectionist, like, oldest child position when your brother did come out for me when my brother came out to me I thought oh this is why I felt this way a little bit I'm Hmm. supposed to kind of help him did you have any feelings like that whatsoever nope so you just said it's completely dissociated yeah super dissociated in kind of different contexts like that particular brother is estranged for other reasons okay and so like because of that estrangement it was just like uh yeah you it, just didn't feel that same mm-hmm. yeah okay so it took longer for me to even begin to question that did it almost like solidify like oh yeah this just adds to why he's estranged like it did that cross your mind um if for me it felt like um it kept um being gay on a list of like flaws if that makes sense that I can relate to that with my sister Mm 
My sister came out in high school. She fell into the drug scene, Mm -hmm. got into all that, and that's what I thought with it. I was like, well, that's why she's tied into drugs. That's why she's had to go to jail multiple times. You know, all of that's kind of tied, and it kind of sets your opinion on that stuff a little bit. Totally. But I even felt that personally for myself. Like, I came out so young. And then had, like, my first, like, real relationship with a woman when I was um, from 18 to 21. And it was a very toxic relationship. And she had a lot of, like, mental health things and, like, substance abuse. And so I said, okay, if that's what being gay is, like, maybe that's why my relationships aren't working out. And then that's when I kind of went back into the closet. It's interesting how all of us have had, like, a story kind of like that that's made us think, oh, yeah, that's why I'm not that. Or that's why I don't want to be that. Right. Or this is bad, like everyone's told me that it Mm -hmm. is. Interesting. It is super interesting what our brains do. It's like pure survival mode, though. Yeah, to keep us from, like, our worst fears, you know? Yeah. Our worst fears being things like we're bad, there's something wrong, we're going to be abandoned, no one's going to like us, Mm -hmm. you know? So... With your story and, you know, what finally made you kind of acknowledge who, you know, part of who you are, Mm -hmm. even when we first met, you still weren't... I still danced around it a lot, uh for sure. You still weren't really wanting to, like, define yourself in any way. Mm -hmm. When did you kind of get to a point where you're like, okay... You know, I may, you know, before when I talk to you, you're like, eh, I might be bisexual. Like, who knows? I might end up with a guy. Yeah. When did you kind of decide, okay, maybe not? Um, so part of it was like getting out of intellectualizing and being able to like just recognize the way that I feel. And then it was also looking at my track record, right? Like I've dated like a lot of men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it wasn't until like the last few years that I've been dating women. And again, just being like, okay, this isn't a fluke. There's no contest. So mm-hmm. yeah, I could be like an enlightened intellectual and say like, well, I can't speak in absolutes because who can ever speak in absolutes? And like, yeah, valid. Right. Right. And like, sure. Even now, who I don't knows? know how the rest of my life yeah, is going to play knows? out. Yeah. Hey, you know. That's <laughs> <laughs> fair. You know. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, but, but you knows? don't know, but Chuck knows. <laughs> yeah. But like looking over the first 30 years of my life and being like, okay, like I dated enough and History I repeats never. repeats itself though, right, Professor? Uh, you, you are so smart. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to, do you want to be my TA? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three out of the TA. Yeah. Chuck tried. Maybe I should try. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, so the the intellectual part of me is always like, I can't speak in absolutes. But then, like, the let's be real part of me is like, okay, 30 years, dated a lot of men, it didn't work. And then in the last three years that I've been dating women, it's been pretty easy, actually, to find people I'm interested in. Right. So I'm like, okay, this is just what it is, you know? But it's weird, too. Like, I mean, a lot of women that I've dated, there's, like, been red flags and everything else. But you can, like, explain those away. And then, like, relationships with men, like, one little thing, they could, like, 
look at you the wrong way. And you're like, yeah, but like, look at the way they're looking at me. It'll never work. Isn't that kind of strange how you can like make things work that obviously shouldn't work? Like your first relationship with yeah. a woman. Yeah. That was but hard. then with men, every little thing you're like, that's, yeah. that's like why. Like they wiggle their toes weird. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how could you date someone like that? That's true. Yeah. Oh man. Those mental Diffuse, loops. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so if you were to like go back uh-huh. And tell your, you know, little Liana, who is kind of struggling, uh-huh. or maybe not recognizing the struggle, but realizing there's a disconnect with men, uh-huh. or maybe these strong feelings for friends. Uh-huh. What are is there any advice you'd have for her? Well, I mean, I guess side note. First of all, I would say. That's why I think representation in like art and like music and film and all of it really matters because it helps people understand like there actually are, there's more of the world and you're not weird. You're not outside of the norm, you know, and you see what's possible. Which is kind of the whole purpose of why we do what we're doing. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's one because I didn't even know what was possible. And, but then two, I think it goes way back to like understanding that the way that I feel and that my questions about the world like had value and that I wasn't responsible for how everyone around me felt like as human beings yeah we do want to care for each other and we don't want to be like narcissists where it's just like it's all about the way I feel and my plight is harder than everybody else's but also we don't want to go to the other end of the spectrum where we don't even know what we feel because all of our focus is on how everybody else around us is doing you know and I think that was one of the biggest hardest pieces for me to deconstruct that honestly I'm still working through so if you were to tell little Liana you know some advice is that kind of what you would give her yeah it is it would be like you don't have to be perfect it's okay to be messy like Mm -hmm. What are you even, do you know how you feel? What are you feeling right now? And like, don't be afraid of what you're feeling in any context. Women are hot. (laughs) Just a fact. Yep. Acknowledge it. You didn't love Tom Welling on Smallville. It was actually Lana Lang's character that you were (laughs) crushing on. Yeah. So So how are you, um, like, today spiritually? Do you feel like you still have, like, a spiritual side, or how would you describe yourself? Yeah, so I would say I I still kind of don't love a ton of labels just because I feel like they reduce, but I would exist in more of the spiritual realm. I wouldn't say I'm religious, but I'm spiritual, which is, like, a huge catchphrase right now. Mm -hmm. So, um, How would you describe your, like, sexual identity then? Do you have, do you label yourself there or no? Okay. 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 Um, But uh, I guess I would say I respect everybody for wherever they're at in the religious space. The more that I feel like I've stepped into the spirituality space, it becomes more expansive, not reductive. Right. So, yeah. I love that. We'll have to have a a whole episode. On religion and spirituality Mm -hmm. in general. Yeah. I agree. So thanks for listening to my story. Yeah. So are you, um, are you active on Tinder now or (laughs) (laughs) how about if you want to chat, find me on my Instagram. There you go. Okay. (laughs)
a Tinder days died check. Yeah. <laughs> Tinder is stressful. Yeah. Seriously though, it was. Well, I think this is an opposite. 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 I think this is an awesome, awesome. episode. <laughs> Opposite mm-hmm. and, or, I'm still mixing it up. All right, stop it. Liana, right. go ahead and take All it. All right, Liana. All right, yeah. I'm going to wrap us yeah. up for this. <laughs> Please. Thanks for following along. Um, and we'd love to hear your stories too. So, again, send them on in if you have any for us. Take care. Bye. Bye. The Let's Unpack That podcast is an ally and advocate for the LGBTQ community and is devoted to giving a voice and creating a safe space for individuals and families of the LGBTQ community. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide or self-harm, please seek help by calling the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or by calling 911. If you are under the age of 24 and need crisis intervention or suicide prevention, please call the 24-7 Trevor Project Hotline at 1-866-488-7386. We'd love to hear your questions, stories, and ideas for episode topics. If you'd like to get a hold of the Les Unpack That podcast, please email us at lesunpackthatpodcast at gmail.com. That's les, L-E-Z, unpackthatpodcast at gmail.com. The Les Unpack That podcast is produced by Charles C. Trabert, Brianna Marganti, and Liana Manabog. The Let's Unpack That theme song was written and recorded by Matthew Davies. Mixing and editing was done by Matthew Davies. (laughs) 